want to thank you guys uh, uh, for saving the last apple for me. That was very kind. Yeah. I, feel, I feel complete now. Okay, we got some questions here. We're going to get going on some of these questions. Uh, what do you want to do? Tell me one at random. One at random? One at random. Let's kick it off. Okay. Okay, so it's fun. Oh, okay. Uh, when they wrote the book, what did pack, quote, pack into the stream of life mean? Um, is it a good thing or something to avoid? Um, my understanding of this, and jump in, uh, we kind of went over these. When I act to the pack into the stream of life, I don't know the historical context, but it was just, was I trying to do as much as I could of what I think God wants me to be doing all day, every day? Was I, was I trying to be productive in the sense of not trying to accomplish Mary's goals, but trying to accomplish what it is I think that God wants me to do today from the vein of what can I do for the man who is still sick, to, sick today? Show me the path of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. Um, you know, what is my role here? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing here to be a maximum service to God and those about me? And that, that's my understanding. I think that's great. I don't know what it means. <laughs> now I do. There, pick your next one. Uh, I love this question. What do you do with atheist sponsees? Um, I heard early in AA that someone would say, well, do you believe in God? No. Well, then you're going to die. And um, I think that's very funny, actually. And I came in very atheist. Um, but, but I think we can do a little better than that. And um, uh, what do I do with atheist sponsees? That's fine. You're welcome to be atheist. Um, let's, let's work these steps and have an experience. And if you want to talk about it and change the way you believe, that's fine. Or if you don't, that's also fine. But if long, as long as you're taking these... Do you have to believe in God to pray? No. No, not at all. There are a lot of things that we do in this program that we do without believing in them. Right? We can do a lot of things without believing in it. And that's a good thing because my mind is the problem and my mind is what's doing the believing. And that's not what I want to listen to, you know. So that's what I encourage guys to do. I don't do it from this strict, you know, something's wrong with you because you're atheist. That's just what you are, you know. Some of you come in here as Christian and, 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 uh, or whatever it may be and, and you're not looking like it, you know, and I'm not judging you for that either. You know what I mean? So, so I'm not, and, and then later on, I mean, I had a sponsor, I had four years still claiming to be an atheist and my sponsor was still very willing to work with me, even though he was not at all atheist, you know? So, so it's not about what I believe. It's about what I do. And it's about having that experience. And I was having that experience. I couldn't explain it. And I really didn't want to say anything about God when it came to it. But I talked to him a few years later on the phone. And I told him, I said, you're not going to believe what someone said to me the other day. And he's like, what's that? And I said, they asked me if all I ever talk about is God. <laughs> he's like, no. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I do with atheist uh, sponsors. There you go. Your turn. Yeah, I... Uh, that's been my experience. Someone says I'm an atheist. I'm like, that's cool. Do you still hope what worked for me could work for you? Yes. You're going to do what I told you to? Yes. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> like, it's not, a, it's not an issue. Um, 
Mary, this one's specifically for me. Mary, do you do a uh, miscellaneous harms inventory as part of your fourth step? Do you have your responsees do that? Um, yes, and, uh, and I'm glad that someone brought this up. So the very first time that I did an inventory, I didn't do a general harms done inventory. We were just talking about it over there. Um, and the most heinous thing I've ever done in my life, by the way, I did it completely sober. Um, I had forgotten about because I didn't have a resentment or a fear and connection with it. It was just something that I had done and I'm walking around two, three days later, living in 10, 11, and 12. It hits me. I went to go see my sponsor and I said, I don't know how someone forgets about something like this, but I did. I literally just forgot about it. Sit down, I have to tell you. Um, and we just put it in my eight-step list and I, and I cleaned it up. It, it, uh, it really was no big deal, right? We just treated it like all the other harms done. Uh, so now what I do is I do do a harms, I suggest to my sponsees that we do a, a harms done. And what I tell them is, from what I can tell, this is not explicitly written in the big book. There is a part in the eight-step list where they say you made your eight-step list when you did your fourth-step inventory. And so what I suggest is that we do a general harms done inventory. Usually at that point, if people are with me that long, they really want this to work. And so if I think it's a good idea, they want to do it too because they want it to work. Um, and so short answer is yes. Any? No, okay. Oh, uh, so the, in the big book, it talks about, you know, where have I been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate with sex? You know, whom did I hurt with my sex conduct? Um, did I unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness with my sex conduct? One of my go-to examples of that is that I, uh, I, I danced with a married man once because I was attracted to him, but I also wanted to make his wife jealous because she was dancing with another guy. And I really thought I was doing him a favor by making his wife jealous so she would quit dancing with this other guy and come back to her husband. I, I mean, I didn't have sex with him. You know, like nothing like that happened, but it was, still an, it was still a sexual harms done. I used my sexual powers and I got all involved in their relationship and I needed to just stay out of it. So that's an example of arousing jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness, you know, um, using my sexual harms done powers without actually having sex or even barely touching someone. Um, you know, where was I at fault with my, my sexual behavior? And, you know, what should I have done instead? Um, you know, stay out of the marital problems of, of married couples is a really, really good one, I suggested, you know? Um, and so, but I get myself into trouble in other areas, not just with... Um, sex, right? And so just looking at, you know, where have I just been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate in general that I didn't catch on this resentment inventory? You know, who have I hurt in general that I'm not mad at them, but I know it's something I need to uh, clean up? You know, where was I selfish, just, I'm sorry, where was, did I unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness in general? Where am I in fault in general? What should I be doing instead in general? And I, I still use the same prayer, God, please mold my ideas and help me to love up to them. Um, you know, it's funny coming back from this. I'm, I'm big on we're racing, we're racing our alcoholic mind, we're racing our ego, and especially the very first time, let's get the big things, right? So we can make that connection to God. We can give God permission to uh, rearrange our personality and we can get out there and we can start cleaning things up and we can start working with others. But I do think 
it's useful to you know to to look at things from a general perspective too because i'm gonna i'm gonna catch a lot of big things that i didn't necessarily catch on the resentment inventory if it's just someone i harmed but i'm not mad at them i just have guilt because i know that i harmed them does that make sense all right yeah if you're working the steps with me um uh you may or may not have a complete harms list when you get to the eighth step, you know, and, and does that mean I, I might be missing something? Yeah, it, maybe it does mean that, but it says right here um, on page 76, we have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory and I'm like, no, I don't have a list of all persons I have harmed. I, that's not how I did my inventory. And like I say, maybe I missed something. I'd like to have a conversation with Bill one of these days. I got some questions for him. <laughs> and this is one of them, you know. And An example is my grandma. I had no, absolutely no resentment against my grandma. And she was uh, one of the first ones on my harms list. So um, uh, the, I think the important thing is that we do as thorough an inventory as we can, and we make as thorough an eight-step list as we can, and we carry it over. And if we miss something, don't freak out over it too much. Just make sure it's on the list, and let's get the amends made. Um, here's a question that says, how do you express your former, former ill feelings to the man you hated without causing more harm? Okay, that's from page... Come on. Somebody yell it out. Where is it? 80? Okay, let's find out. You're, you're close. You're close. It's on uh, page 77. Okay. Um, it says, we're talking about the man we hated. That's how they have this marked in my book on the bottom of page 77. And it says, um, it's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. Okay, and then this says, how do you express your former ill feelings, which means, you know, I didn't like you, and here's why. How do you express that to the person you hated without causing more harm? There's a, the simple kind of rule I have on this is just be real, real careful when you're making amends and you, and, uh, about telling somebody something they don't already know. Okay, and I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Um, I had a guy come to me. I, I spoke at Austin Citywide, which is a big speaker meeting they do there for all the city of Austin to come into. There were probably 500 people there, and it was a big deal for me. It was a really big deal, and I was so nervous. And there were, you know, a, a lot of my friends there, and my parents, my stepdad's in AA, and mom's in Al Anon. They drove down five hours to come see it, and it, it was it was really a cool thing for me. And then a few weeks later. This guy who's been around AA, he'd been in AA for a long, long time, and you know, done, he's done AA for a long time. And uh, he came to me and he said, hey, man, I owe you amends. And I was like, for what? And he said, well, while you were uh, speaking at Citywide and you said something about how much better your relationships are, I made a comment to the person sitting next to me about, you know, if your relationships are so much better, why are you fighting with your girlfriend the way you do? And do you think that, that, that him making those amends helped me? I did not need to know that. My immediate thoughts were, well, who did you say that to? What did they say back? What else did you guys say? I mean, my head's going like crazy. Now I have inventory to write. Thanks for the amends. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of use that general rule. Let's not tell somebody something they don't already know. Maybe they bring it up. Maybe you kind of try to open the door and see if they bring it up, and then you can make amends for it. I'm not telling you this is a rule. I'm not telling you how to make your amends. I'm just saying this is something to consider. 
Another situation is a guy, in the, when he was in treatment, they went through the 12 steps and he was, he was lined out on how to make amends and what amends he needed to make. And he went to his wife and told his wife about all the prostitutes he had been with that she didn't know about. And 10 years later, their marriage still suffers from that. It still comes up. Now, was he supposed to keep that a secret? I don't know. I'm not telling you that what he did was wrong. I don't know. I'm just saying let's take that into consideration and be aware of it and really try to do our best on whether or not that's the right thing to do. So if I'm going to the man I hated, I'm not going to tell him the ill feelings I had toward him that he's totally clueless about. You know, man, I just want to tell I'm really sorry. I used to hate you. If he, if he doesn't know that, then he doesn't need to know that. You know, I can make amends in a much more general way. You know, I want to let you know I haven't always been the best, best friend to you or the best business partner. You know, I've caused you a lot of trouble. I've had a bad attitude around you. I don't have to say I have a bad attitude around you because I can't stand the way you, the sound you make when you eat or something. I don't know. You know, you know what I mean? I don't need to say all that. Okay, that's enough about that. Your turn. I have also experienced getting an amends of someone that I was blissfully unaware of that they had harmed me and I didn't, it wasn't useful either. So I can second that. Um, I'm just going to pray here. So I think probably Chad's going to take a stab at this too. And it says, can you explain what you meant when you said you discussed the basic text of the big book and you don't discuss your experience? I thought we were to experience the black words on the page and share our experience, strength, and hope. Um, when I talk about my home group and how we approach things, it, and, I, and I think about this sometimes, we don't, language fails me, okay? So I, what I say, I might be, it might sound like I'm rolling it back. Like when I did my breakdown of steps one and two, I did talk about my experience with um, the powerlessness of the allergy and the unmanageability of the obsession because that's the only data I have to work with. And I'm trying to take the text and I'm trying to make it accessible, right? And it's, it's useful in that context and that I'm trying to open up this textbook so that everyone else can see it as a resource to apply the details of their life, um, like, like a machinery to get out on the other side and get whatever God has for them. Um, when I say that my group is, is not talking about experiences, what I'm trying to say is we're not treating it as a group therapy. Um, we're, not, we're not even treating, I, Chad talked about this, we're not treating it as a 12-step call. We're not treating it as a fifth step where we're going to share part, some of our mess with the, with the person who's doing their inventory so that they don't you know, feel so alone. Um, and what's, what has inspired us is uh, on page 19, and is there anything wrong with the expression ex, um, experience, strength, and hope, no, there's nothing wrong with it. But when I finally got sober, the people that I talked about, instead of saying, share your experience, strength, and hope, they would say, share your experience and knowledge. And it came right out of page 19, where it says, we have concluded, a po to, we have concluded to publish an anonymous volume setting forth the problem as we see it. We shall bring to the task our combined experience and knowledge. This suggests a useful program for anyone concerned with a drinking problem. So when I say my home group is not talking about experiences so much, I mean, like, if you want to find out 
you know, how the paint job is on their new car, you're going to have to get there before or after the meeting. That's not going to be coming up. If you want to find out what's going on with their divorce in real time, that's not going to come up in the meeting because we want to, everything is about opening up the book to help a newcomer gain access to the book so they can get well so that we can stay sober. It's, it's, it's a selfish motive, right? Where the, 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 the group is geared toward carrying the message to the still suffering alcoholic because that's what keeps us alive and thriving. And all that other stuff, we do different places, different times of the week. So I, I hope that helps. I think I talked about that a little bit too, and 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 what uh, our experience is the lifeblood of AA. You know, without our experience, we can't reach a newcomer, and it's very important to have that experience. and And we share our experience in in most meetings that you go to, just not my home group. You know, if you want to go to a meeting where you share your experience and get intimate with each other, your current experience on what it looks like for you today going through this work, that's a great meeting. That's a great talk. If you have people in that meeting that are working a program and they're sharing their current experience with each other, or if there's someone that comes in and they're sharing, you're, you're sharing your experience about what it was like for you when you walked in the door and how people helped you and what you did and the hopelessness of your alcoholism based on your, that's great. It's just this one group. We don't, we, it's, it's a true book study and we're just studying the book. That's how we do it there. Um, and then I love that she read that line and I love to say controversial things. Um, that upset people. Uh, there are no teachers in AA. There are, no, there are no experts in AA. I do not agree with that. Okay, the, when you say, there are a lot of things you can say and people are like, yeah, because that sounds really, there are no teachers in AA. Yeah, no teachers in AA. It's very important that I remain teachable. Yeah, yeah. Why do you need to remain teachable if there are no teachers? I mean, come on. I'm a teacher in AA, and so are you, and I'm also a student, and so are you. You know, we're teachers and students. We teach each other. We learn from each other, and that's part of the gift we get to share with you. That is my opinion. Experts in AA, if you've been around this thing for about 10 years, and let's see, that's 3,650 days, and in 3,650 days, you've written 3,000 nightly reviews, you're an expert on the nightly review. You've done 3,000 of them. I've done none. So you're an expert, and you can teach me how to do it. Right? Does that make sense? Now, can it be a little bit arrogant? I can walk around here just going, yeah, I'm a teacher and I'm an expert and there's nothing left for me to learn. No, I need to be a teacher and I need to be teachable. And, and I do it, man. I get to a place where I'm like this big teacher and this big expert. And there are people that have been sober so much longer than me and know this so much better than me. And what happens? I always get humbled. I always embarrass myself. I always feel like a fool walking away from some situation. And I've done it a hundred times. But yes, the truth is we do teach and, and, and we can be experts. Um, that was the question you just did, right? What, wait. I did, I did this one. The one about extreme strength. No. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. What's next? I don't know. I oh, yeah. I, I had the thing. Oh, we have more questions. Okay. More. more. Well, here, I'll do this one to me while you're looking. I didn't right. give you the chance okay. to look. Right. Chad, did you make a direct amends to Walmart? Yes. What would you suggest for doing an amends to a store you worked at and stole from? Um, I wanted to go in, I had a lot of stores, I stole from a lot of stores, and I wanted to go to the store and walk up to somebody and hand them the money and get the glory, you know, I called, I, I, it turns out with a store like Walmart, they, they all have a um, restitution department, 
and you, you find the restitution department. Everything's easy now online. You find the restitution, and you have to send them a money order. They don't want your personal check. I don't know why. You send them a money order, and then you get to cross that off your uh, card. And I send a note that's apologizing, you know, thank you for the opportunity to pay this back, you know. And I'm sure whoever reads that goes, oh, that's really sweet. And they throw the note away, and they deposit the check, you know. But most stores do have that. But now... Uh, but my first suggestion is to actually go to the store and approach the manager. Or if you know the people from the store or the restaurant or whatever it is that you stole from, talk to the people you know. Take full responsibility for it, man. Go in and face it. Um, so this says, what would you suggest for doing an amends to a store you worked at and stole from? Um, so I would suggest going back to that store. Do you know somebody? Approach somebody, maybe the manager that you work for, if you can do that, or the owner. Approach the owner, if possible, and admit your wrongs and, and pay that money back. If that's not possible, if that's not the case, there are all kinds of ways to do that. I'm not the guy that's going to tell you you need to donate that money if you can't find a way to pay it back. You know, to me, it's great to donate money. That's practicing principles and being of service, not necessarily making amends. That's just my opinion. You know, but what I want to do is pray and be willing and go out and take the action. I'll tell you right now, I stole a jet ski in Dallas back in the mid-90s from a person, not from some dealership, from a person who, who lived in an apartment complex who spent their hard-earned money to buy that jet ski. And me and my buddy, I had one, he didn't. So we went and stole him one so we could ride together. You know, we cut a lock off, a, a, cut a chain, you know, put, hooked it up to the back of my little Nissan pickup and drove off with it. I, I, all I know is it was somewhere in Dallas in the mid-90s at an apartment complex. And here's how stupid we are. It was like 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning in broad daylight, you know. Everybody was home. Um, I've called police departments in Dallas, sheriff's department. I mean, I've done thorough research. I would love, I would love to run into that person and say, I will pay you back for what it's worth today. You know, I would love to pay that back, but I, I haven't found it. I don't know how to do it. Now, I've been told by some members of AA that you should donate that money. So, well, I do donate money. I donate money to AA and other causes that I believe in, but that's part of practicing principles, not paying that money back. The person that I stole that from doesn't care if I gave money to United Way. They want their damn money, you know? So, anyway, that's my opinion on that. There you go. I, I'm going to weigh in on that real quick. Uh, what did I do with the rest? Here you go. Um, I, I also stole from uh, two employers. Um, one of them was my very first very scary, like one of my very first scary amends. And instead of doing the 10 step and calling someone and asking God to remove my fear and all that stuff, I just sat in my car and screamed at myself, you get in there and you do this right now. And um, I went in and I did it and I made an amends. Uh, I was a fundraiser and we were getting donations, whatever I thought was like the coolest stuff instead of sending it to the auction I would just keep it for myself right and I, I drank on the job and I missed work and all kinds of stuff and so I went back to go make my amends and this was one of those amends where they were blissfully unaware I had stolen anything and so I came in to make the amends and it was very very scary because I was also unemployed and this was one of my um references to get a new job and did I mention I was single and pregnant right um <laughs> But I really wanted this to work. So I came in and I did it. And as I'm making this whole amends, the man across from me tells me, you know, my dad died with 25 years sober in AA. And it was just like God was, it was, it turned out to be real, 
real easy amends. And um, I had money in hand to make an amends, and I told him I really don't know how much everything was worth, but I've got this amount of money, and I'll give it to you, and if you want more money, I'll give you more. And he said, no, I'd really like you to just take it and give it to AA. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And so I like to share that story, because you never know what God's got for you. It turned out to be a real, a real easy amends, and it was one of those things that was unexpected when I left. He's like, oh, sure, you know. You were, we thought you were great. We were real happy with your performance. <laughs> well, I know it'll still be a reference for you. And he handed me his card and he said, if you ever need anything, here's my card. And so I like to share that because it was a very, very scary amends, right? I was very worried about losing my reputation and my you know, livelihood and all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> so what do you say when a sponsor wants to take the summer off from working the steps? Not to be flippant. Cool. I'm not taking the summer off from working the steps, but it tells us in the big book that whenever we're talking to another alcoholic and they've got some other idea of what they want to do, we encourage them to follow their own conscience. So if my sponsor, God Lover, said, I need three months off, you know, I'm not going to work with you, no 10 steps or anything like that, that's her journey. She and God are doing something. I don't even have to figure out if she's making the right call or not. My journey's not over with. I just, like, I think I was telling you guys earlier, okay, boss, what next? And I'll just find someone else to uh, work with me with the steps. And I wouldn't even, I might have to do the 10-step on abandonment issues or something like that. But my point is, um, you know, if someone tells me that they don't have time to work with me right now, that just means, and from my, this is Mary, Mary's opinion, that just means is that's not the person that God has in mind for me to do the work with. Um, my sponsor is just a wonderful human being, and I know we're not supposed to put people on pedestals, but I think she's just, you know, a rock star. I love her. Um, you know, but nowhere in the big book does it say, make sure you have, you know, Sarah from Dallas in order to get through the steps. I don't need her. I just need to do what the big book says, and I, you know, I just need one other person. So, thanks. That's great. Um, something that came to mind, it's come up a couple times about money, owing money on amends. And, and uh, you know, if I owe somebody, say, $5,000 um, and I make $8 an hour, that's how much I made when I got sober um, painting houses for a guy. Um, and I could have, you know, if I owed you $5,000, I could have waited until I had it and then approached you. And that would have been really cool. Here's your money. Bam. Five grand. Peace. <laughs> Um, or maybe I need to approach you with a hundred bucks and make the approach. The, the, I mean, make the uh, the give the apology, make the amends, and then say, "Here's a hundred dollars. That's all I have right now, and I can pay you, you know, fifty dollars a month or whatever." And a lot of times, when those kind of approaches are made, that fifty dollars a month that I could afford somewhere pretty soon, I get a tax refund or I get something that allows me to pay a big chunk of it or whatever. But the thing is. In my experience, God really works in my life as I start to take the action and the wheels start moving. You know, then I start to see those miracles happen. So just throwing that out there for financial amends. There's three left here I don't have real clear answers on. I'm going to describe what this last part means. And if you want to speak up and, and clarify this for me, you can. Or if you just want to stay quiet about it, that's fine too. Um, so it says, they're mad resenting God. What kind of work can they do? And then the second part says, how to love support when bad things have happened. Um, I don't, I mean... This is common. 
I've got a sponsee right now that's really mad at God. You know, I told him it's not mad at God. It's self-pity that he's feeling. It's not fair. He's doing all this work and God's not fixing his problem. And maybe, maybe the, 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 the idea for a solution to the problem that he has in mind is not the best thing for him. Um, but I think lots of times we have these old ideas about God. I tell you, tell you, tell you the truth. I, a lot of times I'd rather work with an agnostic or atheist than someone religious because it's like there's less old ideas to, to burn down before we can get to the truth. You know, and that's not always true, but sometimes it is. Um, but but I think a lot of times it's based on that because those of us who have who have had experiences with God really know that God's love. Period. There's like no bad side to it, you know? So, so I don't know, write inventory on God and see if some old ideas come out in that. I don't know. And then how to love support when bad things have happened. I'm not sure exactly what that is asking. Does anybody want to clarify that or? Oh, okay. Okay. How do you love and support someone who's gone through some terrible things and they're blaming God for it and resentful at God about it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, um, sometimes we can take on too big of a role as a sponsor. You know, a lot of times, even though I really want to help somebody, it's not necessarily my role to have the answers for that. You know, as, as, as uh, sometimes in AA, the way we do AA today, we give the sponsor too big of a role to have all the answers. And, and I, I don't know. You know, I will stand by you while you search for those answers. You know, what I can do is I can help guide you through this work and I can show you where self is showing up in your life when I see it. And I can tell you the truth as I see it, what God inspires me to say. But I don't have always have all those those answers, and and there are a lot of people. You know, if you're really open for that, there are a lot of people that that have have had a lot of experiences with that. You know, but I mean, you know, a lot of times it it just comes back to to uh, what you need and what you want are not necessarily the same thing. But that's easy to say from up here, you know. But sometimes not getting what you want can mean something really terrible. Not just that you didn't get the new house, but that, you know, you're, you've got a terminal disease or that, that you know, your, your kid is, you know, shooting heroin or something. I mean, it can mean really, really terrible things and can be very difficult situations. So how do we love and support? We don't always have to have the answers to love and support. You know, we can just be there and walk through this journey of self-discovery with you. That's my take on it. Do you have something you want to... I think that's 100% true. Um, there, I have two thoughts. One, yes, I, uh, not just with sponsees, with loved ones. You know, I, I think there's something about when you're on the Titanic with them as the ship's going down, just staying. So many people can't handle it when bad things are happening in another person's life and they just abandon them because they just, it's just too sad or it's too uncomfortable. Just staying with someone while they're, you know, growing and living through the uncomfortable thing, you know, being there with them to let them know that they're, they're not alone. Uh, the other thing that has been very helpful to me is that um, big book thumpers, you know, when I'm, I remember uh, calling someone one time and I was so upset, I could hardly speak. I was crying. I was so upset and so upset. And um, they just said, you know, I'm sorry you're in pain. I wish I could say something to make you feel better. Now you run along and you find someone to help. And I, and I, I know that there, to me, when someone just says, I'm sorry, you're in pain before they tell me to go get to work, <laughs> it, it helps. Just that human moment of like, 
you know, I wish there was something I could do. But uh, to echo what Chad was saying, I've, uh, I've had a lot of experience with people that tell me I, I wish I was more attractive, I wish I was smarter, I wish I had more career aspects, and I can sit there and just be like, your mind is lying to you. This is another example of something you can't tell the truth from the false. You're one of the sexiest people I've ever seen. You're one of the smartest people I've ever seen. And they just get more and more upset and cry harder and harder and harder and start to hyperventilate. And when I'm just like, all right, we're done here. You go find someone to help. They come back and they feel a whole lot better. <laughs> so that is the most, that, what I have found is that that's what works better than anything else, no matter how much I tell them I love them or that their mind is lying to them. Uh, to go find someone to help will really give them the relief they need. Um, I'm going to try this one, sponsorship. How do you work with a sponsee who's taken the steps out of the book with a recovered sponsor but continues to relapse or have the same struggles over and over again? Maybe they had a spiritual awakening. I treat them exactly the same. Um, when someone calls and um, if they're working with me and we're living in 10, 11, and 12, and they tell me something, and as I see it, you know, they're deviating from the principles, I'll just tell them what I see. I see selfishness. I see dishonesty. I can't say for certain, but I think this is not going to work. Usually it's around lying. Someone finds something that they think it's okay to lie about. And um, I'm just, I was taught early on, you know, the people, they just put the fear of God in me about lying. Um, you know, like lying will get us drunk very, very fast. I just, I think, I think this is dangerous behavior. I try not to get into, I think this is bad behavior or you're bad or anything like that. I just say, I think you're putting your recovery at risk by doing this. And when um, they relapse and they come back, there's no, I told you so. <laughs> there's just, you know, when they come back, it's like, okay, are we ready? Like, we're ready. Okay, let's start again. And I've, um, I've had um, an example, I, I, people that were getting better, but, you know, it would come to the fact, like, I, I, I'm unwilling to spend one night a week to go out and try to find people to help, right? I'm willing to do all this other stuff, but once a week to try and go find someone to sponsor is just not going to work for me. Um, and then they, you know, wind up losing their job. Um, and because they, they relapsed. It's like when they come back to me, there's no, see, I told you so. See, now you don't have a job. You know, are you finally going to do what I effing tell you to do, or do we have more of this? None of that. It's like when they come back, you know, I lost my job. I'm so sorry. I'm so worried. It's like, well, you know, God's going to take care of you if you stick close to him and perform his work well. When you're ready, I'm ready. And uh, I found that to be really, really helpful. Um, but it, it takes a lot of patience. Um, but the only time I will refuse to quit trying is if the God consciousness is telling me um, that I'm enabling this person to be insincere and it's beginning to harm them. And what I just say is I might be completely wrong, but I'm getting to the point where I feel like this is harmful to you and we're going to stop now because I don't want to harm you. And if, if you think I'm wrong and you want to go find someone else and you want to do this work, you know, go for it. And if, if I'm wrong, I will be the first one to jump up and cheer at your one-year sobriety birthday party. Like, I, I want you to succeed. But, um, you know, sponsorship always works out well for me. The only time I stop is when it's not working out well for that individual. Um, and I'll let you, you want to say anything? Okay. Is that it? That's it. And then there's one more. Oh, there's another there's one. All I have to, is that for what I have to say? 
cleaning up my side of the street. How we talk? How do we talk about my part in resentments, conflicts, context in the fourth, fifth step? Sponsees who have heard this saying and refer to it. My part. I'm not a big fan of the the phrase "my part," and I've used it many times. <laughs> um, uh, it says here on page 61. Can I? Ooh, it's a nice book. Um, on page 61, it says, Still the play does not suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. Sometimes this my part can kind of fit into that, you know? Yeah, I see my part, but... So just got to be careful with that. And I like, I like to, you know, the part where it talks about disregard the other person involved entirely. That's kind of more where we want to focus. Avoid argument and fault finding like the plague. You know, we're in a world full of imperfect humans. And if I can spend a life focusing on what's great about you and not what's wrong with you and not taking the things that you do personally and all that stuff, that's really a better way to live. And uh, I got a lot better chance of staying sober, but I got to do a lot of work to, to be able to do that. You know, that's why this stuff is laid out in a certain order. Anything you want to say about that? Okay, I want to talk about one quick thing and then we're done. So um, how do you, what do you do then? What do you do? How do you work this program? There's a, there's a, a symbol that, that used to be in the front of all the uh, big books, of circle and triangle. Anybody familiar with that? You guys have that? Otto's got a stamp for it. He can stamp it in your book because um, they, they don't have it in the fourth edition anymore. There's a lawsuit and AA just decided not to fight it. Um, the circle and triangle is an ancient symbol. It, 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 um, symbol, it symbolizes the unity of body, mind, and spirit, right? The circle, body, mind, and spirit make up the triangle, and then the circle represents the unity of that. And I'm not going to get into a whole lot of that. I just want to talk about basing an AA program on that. So, and I like to do this in treatment centers and things like that. You know, what's, so what, what do we do then? We've talked about what the problem is, what the solution is, so what do we do? Here's what an AA program looks like. The three sides of that triangle to have a complete program. One of the si- and, and there's different takes on this. I'm giving you mine. One, one of those sides of the triangle is unity. That's the fellowship. That's being a part of AA, being a member of AA. Um, <clears throat> having a home group. Being of service at your home group, staying in contact. We need each other, right? If I get around normal people for too long and I lose contact with you guys, I'm going to start doing what normal people do and stop doing what alcoholics have to do, right? Okay, so that's one side. So I can ask myself. I actually have something I'll send you an email to. On a, it's called the Circle and Triangle Check-In where you can hold each other accountable on your uh, program by using this. So the first side is, is unity fellowship. That's being a part of AA, a good standing member of AA in my home group, right? Okay, the second side of that triangle is recovery. That's my personal program of recovery, writing inventory, making amends, prayer and meditation, working with my sponsor, what I do to grow spiritually for myself. And I can ask myself some questions. Do I have unwritten inventory? Do I have amends I need to make? How many days have I done prayer and meditation and written a review this last week? I can ask myself some different questions like that, right? To see how I'm doing on that side of the triangle. And then that last side of the triangle is service and being of service. What am I doing to carry this message? You know, so, so um, there are people put different, you know, principles behind each of these things like the 12 steps and the 12 traditions and the 12... I don't get into all that. I just try to keep it real simple. And this is the simple part. Be a part of AA. Be a member. Work a personal program of recovery in the steps and get out there and be of service. Carry this message. Work with others. Be a sponsor. Come help us help others. Guys, thanks so much for having us. This has been a blast. You guys have been great.
Thank you.